from Los Angeles, California on the MTV Podcast Network. This is North Mollywood. I'm Alex Papadimus. Across the table, blogging sweetly from a top floor window in the Tower of Song, Molly Lambert. Hey, everybody. Uh, We're going to talk about Doctor Strange. We're going to talk about Westworld and some Westworld theories that may be slightly outdated because you're going to hear this a week after you normally would because of the holiday. But hopefully nothing is too disruptive next week. We don't have any more crazy revelations. We're going to talk about Leonard Cohen. And we're going to talk about Black Mirror. Finally, thanks to everybody in like 2008 who was like, you got to watch Black Mirror. I finally did it. Uh, took that took that plunge most of the way. Watched uh, 90% of the Netflix season. Ready to discuss those things. I'll start with Doctor Strange. You asked me to explain Doctor Strange to you. Did you do you really know nothing? Are you truly uh, Doctor Strange? Uh, totally Doctor Strange illiterate. You would like Doctor Strange. I feel you would like Doctor Strange the Doctor, if not the the movie itself. Um, it sounds a lot like Doctor Who, right? Come on. Doesn't doesn't he like travel in time or something? He travels in in, in dimensionally, interdimensionally. He travels in, in like metaphysical time. He's not like a you know. Is he like a top tier character? Because I thought he was like just, you know, they were digging in the crates. Like we gotta find some more characters. He's like the bridge to the cosmic metaphysical world of the Marvel universe, and they have not yet gotten into that. There's a whole bunch in the in the movies. So he connects the movie verse to like it's Does kind he of, connect to the Guardians of the Galaxy? Inevitably. Because it's ultimately going to connect to like Thanos or something. But he's kind of like he's like the metaphysical authority figure in the Marvel universe because he is a doctor. He is like a medical doctor, but mostly like you go to him for, he's like Dr. Exposition. So you go to him and he can explain to you why some cosmic things are happening. So with all the like gems and all that bullshit that they have going on. The in what? There, the, the gems in those. Oh, right. You told me that you haven't actually seen these. See, this one's like nine, better than 90% of these movies. And I actually really enjoyed it. And I don't, I would like, I, you know, I would love to be like righteous and be like, I don't even watch these things because normally That's me. I, go I play see that role yeah normally i go see them and then complain about them but this one i went to see and actually really kind of dug uh but yeah there's all the there's a whole like mytho- cosmic mythology that they're building with the who is dr strange dr strange is a real doctor named stephen strange who wait his real last name is strange yeah there's a lot of that going around in the in the old days of there's a lot of uh, you know really on the nose naming conventions and it's like it's Stephen Strange. It's not even like Greg Strange, uh, which would be better somehow. I don't know why. He is an arrogant doctor who's like the first time you see him. Well, the first time you see him, they don't really tell you anything about him. They kind of filled in his origin story after the fact. But like you see his origin story. He's an arrogant doctor who's like, oh, I won't help this guy because he can't pay me and I'm an asshole. And then he drives off the road. He's in a he's a, a brain surgeon or like a just I think in the comics, he's like just a genius surgeon damages his hands that are his you know instruments of his trade and kind of goes on like a little uh, metaphysical spiritual odyssey like which for the time was you know sort of like fairly out there it was before like anybody was you know really getting into you know going into eastern religion or anything like that so he goes and he finds a tutor called the ancient one he kind of has a little batman begins type of journey where you know he goes to the you know to the east uh, the exotic East to meet Tilda Swinton to meet a character who is played in the movie by Tilda Swinton. How racist did it feel? 
Well, it's kind of if you saw the way that they drew the ancient one, who is his Asian mentor in the original they, comics. They were trying to make the argument that it was less racist to replace them with Tilda Swinton, but yeah. keep it in the Himalayas or whatever. Uh, yeah, I think the trade is the the trade is somewhat. Yeah, she's a Celtic uh, mystic of some sort. Why not put her in Ireland then? Uh, well, there's no there's not enough mountains. That's not true. Know. You need a monastery kind of vibe. They got like ancient ruins there. You got to look, you got to go. Some of this stuff is just coded into the IP. Um, it's not not racist. It's just different kind of racist, I guess. <laughs> That's not not racist. That's just uh, soft racist. It's one of those things where it's like, what's worse, though? Is it worse to whitewash the stereotype character and make them not a stereotype anymore? Look, I agree, but I think um, I think what bothered me about Doctor Strange was I was like, man, they sure are going to make every male superhero movie they have in the whole catalog before they give us one female superhero movie standalone. Oh, for sure. For sure. You're not getting your Black Widow movie. No. Ever. They're like, oh yeah, we're definitely going to make that what it, what would be a really obscure character. Uh, like Dr. Druid. <laughs> that's how you get, that's where does the Dr. Celtic Druid, mis- there's a real, yeah. Does he is, host Loveline? His name is Anthony Druid. Anthony Druid. Aunt, Dr. Anthony Druid is Dr. Druid. Um, Who's like the most... Well, they already made Ant-Man, which was pretty like... Yeah. But that was like on purpose almost that the joke was like nobody right. cares about Ant-Man. And then they had to make but it into But it made me good. mad because I was like, they would rather make Ant-Man than make Black Widow that already has like a built-in fan base. Yeah, because they're just thinking about toys. They like the, Yeah, like they, girls buy fucking toys. No he, more movies about super powerful white men. I, look ever again i think uh once they run through i think there they only enough. have there's, there's only like 200 more and then they'll be done they already have made too many they need to just stop forever so you see the x-men movies that's the one you've I chosen see all the x-men movies but they are like uh i'm in like a masochistic relationship with the x-men movies because i love the x-men the movies are always disappointing and they really push the female characters of the x-men universe into the background which is like a huge crime because what makes the X-Men universe great and what I like in a fictional universe is like men and women being friends and accomplishing things together, uh, just like this podcast. But it's always like just about Magneto and Professor X and much like Westworld, which uh, we will get to soon, but uh, which my friend was saying the uh, big twist in Westworld is that it's all just people talking in rooms. <laughs> all of that work, all that set building. Just it's, all two guys being like, a long time ago, something happened. I wonder what it was. So, yeah, I would like a better X-Men movie. I have a lot of great ideas. If anybody wants to call me up from DC or Marvel, um, I feel like they just have so many good female characters and they don't do anything with them. And it's disappointing because they could at least give them an Ant-Man, you know, throw them a throw them a crumb. Uh, and then they cast uh, Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique and suddenly made Mystique the most important female X-Men character, which she is not. No, no, um, she's not. It's sad to watch Jennifer Lawrence in those movies. Well, I feel it's bad like, for I all the people. I wish she were Jean Grey or somebody. I wish she were like a real character in those movies that I was invested in. Mystique, it's like they're trying to make her more interesting, but it all seems like a very flimsy excuse to put her in the body paint the whole time. Yeah, that's how it was like Rebecca Romaine. Yeah. 
in the body paint, and that was like a fixture of those things. It's like, oh, she's naked, but she's not. She totally didn't even naked. have lines in those movies, though. Yeah, when it was that mystique. That's the Olivia Munn part in the last one. In in, I mean, those are that one. Last one is hilarious. What I love about the X Men is that there's like someone for everyone. You know, it's like you can find an X Men that you identify with because there's so many X Men, and they all have different cool powers, and. I like the yeah, I like a team. I prefer a team to just somebody that's like one person that's all powerful. And they have a reason to to be together that has nothing to do with like, oh, I guess we should avenge or something. It They're, might also be just that like it seems really fun to go to a school for smart kids. It's like the same thing as Harry Potter. It's like every nerd kid is like, "Ooh, I want to go to a boarding school that's all nerd kids." And we all have magical powers. No, it's really like before there, when there was no Harry Potter, like in the 80s, like it was the thing that made boarding school super cool. I imagine like Facts of Life maybe did that for a different uh, group of people. But, you know, it, it's, weird that, it's weird that they're like because boarding school is not cool. It was, it's not hip. There's no, nothing it's like not that, cool. Like, it is it's not. Like, prep school is terrible. I want to go to a prep school in Westchester. That is my dream of the coolest thing that I could possibly do. And that's that is what the X-Men sold us. Yeah. That idea. Yeah. It's also really easy to sell that to Californians. Yes. Because <laughs> you're like, ooh, ivy covered bricks. We're not even allowed to have bricks. Was that your thought process when you chose brown? Yes, 100%. <laughs> it's like the X-Men. Yeah. Uh, and it was also exactly like you... Professor Xavier's School for Gifted Children. Yeah, there's actually the school that plays the School for Gifted Mutants is also in one of the Black Mirrors that we are going to talk about coming up. Molly, you finally watched some Black Mirror. Yeah, I mean, look, I've been people have been bugging me about this. People have been telling me. I don't really want to say bugging me because people love me and they think that they know what I love <laughs> and that I would enjoy something and they try to make me. Yeah, but watch sometimes it. when people tell you you have to watch something, it's like no, like, no I, don't I don't want to. I have to watch anything. I'm going to do what I want. This is this is a, a, a America or England, depending on where you are. Uh, yeah, and, and it, it was, I don't know. I love the Twilight Zone, and I fear technology, I guess. And so it seemed like it, I, would, I would be into it. I think I tried. I, don't, I think I've, like, watched the, the pilot, like, twice. You know, the, is that the pig one? Yeah. Yeah, I watched the pig one. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Um, and for some reason, though... In this past week, I decided to start watching a lot of Black Mirror. Suddenly, rather than being a bummer, it became very diverting. Well, and now it's like, like an escapist fantasy. You're like, I wish that that was what the future was, how bad the future was going to be. That's That looked cool, comparatively. So we are going to talk about the first two episodes of the Netflix season. The first episode concerns smartphones and apps and rating technology sort of as a goof on people rating uber drivers and yelp and things like that and stars bryce dallas howard and what'd you think she was really good really first good of right all. i thought she was amazing i mean she there, there's that she has those like the contacts in a lot of the time that i guess that's how the technology is supposed to work right aren't there I don't know what you're talking her about. Her eyes look crazy. She's I thought got that some was kind just of, her eyes. No, because then they take them out at the end. There's like a whole, that's like what you're, 
she has her. There's something about the way the light hits her eyes that looks really strange. I was like, it, I almost didn't recognize her at first because she was they they you know like whatever the makeup and the hair like there's something about like how she I guess it's like it's supposed to be this is someone who's camera ready all the time in life and so she looks like the you know the orbit gum lady. Um, I thought this was really good. Uh, this is uh, written by Rashida, Rashida Jones, Jones and Mike Schur sure. sure of. Uh, Parks and Rec fame, both of them, and directed by Joe Wright. Yeah, I thought it was great. It did remind me, I, like, I think I would have to go back. I think the community episode about Meow Meow Beans is superior in some you ways. You reference that so much. It's a good episode. And I will never know what I you're know. talking You'll about. You'll never watch it. It's fine. I really like that one. I, like, I kind of wish that, that that more, I mean, this. It's. I guess this is working off a story that Charlie Brooker wrote, who's the guy who sort of created this show. And it's oh, kind I of didn't the know that. Of this. I think he, and it's like teleplay by Rashida Jones and Mike Schur. So they took the, an idea of his and took it out there. I kind of wish that it was more of a mix of sensibilities. I like how, like, the, like not to keep going back to the Twilight Zone, but, like, sometimes the Twilight Zone is Rod Serling, sometimes uh, Richard Matheson. Like, it's different kinds of people and different sort of, sensibilities even different like, dystopias d- yeah exactly it's a variety of of dystopias um but i like this one i like it, it what it has like what like, which uh, now having watched like a season like some of them don't is it it doesn't just end and it's like and that's why technology is bad there's actually an arc to this character and you see she goes through all of these horrible privations because it's like it's a future where you're Star rating. Everybody can star rate you on every interaction, and you can lose basically your whole life if your star rating falls too low. Um, and that's exactly it. Feels what plausible. That's the thing. Look, that's the thing that bugs me about this show is like it, it, that you can just hear somebody in your head kind of being like, "Listen, this could happen. This is real. This could really." And you're like, "I know. It's like it's real. We just ha- like if there's nothing else that this week proves, it's like yes, yeah. technology." You hear Mia Farrow going, this is no dream. This is really (laughs) happening. Uh, I totally enjoyed the first episode, which was uh, not the first one I watched. I watched San Junipero first. That's what everybody watched first, I feel like. Well, that's the one that doesn't end with technology is bad. Yeah. Because it would be too depressing if they ended it with like, oh, and also it's going to short out at some point because you can't trust technology. I thought for sure that's what was going to happen in yeah. that, by the way, that San Junipero was going to end with like, oh, and then we like got went through this whole thing. Like it's like how this whole saga and then somebody's going to like drop a hard drive and be like, well, I guess that person doesn't get to live forever. And like, you know, and then black mirror. <laughs> um, what about the second episode? All right. Black so mirror? I love that dude who plays Willoughby. Do you in know Everybody who he is? Wants some. Do you know who he is? Who is he besides that? Oh, no, no, he's Kurt Russell's son. He's right? Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn's son. And he looks exactly he looks like exactly, a face morph yeah. of Kurt Russell and There's Goldie a Hawn. moment when there's a thing that happens that is a reference to the thing. And his mouth shape is like exactly the same <laughs> as Kurt Russell's in a way that is distracting, but also amazing. He's like genetically predisposed to I haven't seen Everybody out. Wants Some. But after watching that episode, it made me want to watch it. And also, I was like, of course, that guy fits perfectly as like a link later guy. He's such like a because he's like the good bro. He's like a bro who you don't hate because he's funny and like sort of doofy. But in a way that's like, I don't know, maybe you have to grow up in California to find that charming. But I, I liked him. Uh, I watched that episode 
real big. I projected it, which made it really scary to me. And uh, then I had a lot of nightmares about it. See, I didn't. Here's the thing I have about one of the things about Black Mirror. I, I, I enjoy it. I like it. I, it's been a real nice diversion in this past week. Like I said, I do feel like it's it's in that same category as American Horror Story, where it's horror that's not scary. Like it's in the form of scary, and it's like there are jump scares and stuff. But it's mostly like the horror is supposed to be like. Then you look down at your phone and you're like, "Oh, it might happen right here. What if this was a thing? I would totally do it." Which is also what the second episode of the Netflix series of Black Mirror is about. It's about tailoring something specifically to your fears. If you're claustrophobic, then an episode about claustrophobia is going to get to you more, presumably. Uh, And then I also read something like when I watched that episode, the second episode, I was like, I just saw this news story about somebody building a haunted house that knows what your fears are. And then I looked it up and it was totally not that story. It was like, no, actually, it's like an Instagram filter that makes images look scary, which is not at all what I thought it was. But I totally seemed believable to me that machines could read your brain and tell you what you're afraid of. I mean, look, they're 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 getting there. They're, they're, they're absolutely getting there. Westworld. Westworld. Do you have any theories to share? Do I ever? Yeah, I'm ready. Bring it. One of them is real. The other one is less real. You be the judge of which which one of these theories I actually believe. What is real? So one of my theories is that the entire show is a hallucination taking place in the mind of Mike Mageau, who survived the Zodiac killer (laughs) and is played by Jimmy Simpson in the movie Zodiac. And he is an important character in the movie Zodiac. And this is all his paranoid escapist fantasy after surviving almost being killed by the Zodiac and seeing somebody else get killed. He dreams of Westworld. So he doesn't, he, it's not like, cause it's, he gets the Zodiac thing happened to him in the sixties. So it's not like he's seen the movie Westworld and he's extrapolating a Westworld. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe he saw Westworld and then he just sits in a room. I'm going to guess that that's the less real theory. What if that's not the less wow. real theory? No, that's, that, is, that is the less real. That's the more real theory. I cannot wait to hear the less real. The but more, the, all right. So Jimmy Simpson verse. That's Jimmy number Simpson, one. No, the Mike Mugeau verse. The Mugeau, the Mugeau verse. So it's like Newhart where like it's actually like a previous role. Yes. You ret- he's reverting to a previous build, that's as right. we say. Okay. What's the other one? The other one. This is a real theory. So stop listening if you don't want to hear something that I think might happen. Uh, I think Anthony Hopkins is a robot. I think he's a ribbit. You think he's a robot? Do you think he's one of the like the so he's like the robot family that he built for himself? Is he a or like a very sophisticated? I think he is. All of Westworld is a robots scheme for robots to take over. So it's like a petri dish to grow the robot revolution. Because uh, as you will know, something I have been waiting to happen on Westworld finally happened last week. Now many weeks ago in real life, um, which is that a robot killed a human. But if I had specified more about my wish, it would not have been that a robot kills a human under the command of another human, which is what did happen. 
and it's like a security guy. It's not, you know, not that his life didn't matter in the scheme of the Westworld universe, but it's not like a major character. It's wait, what like are a, you talking about? What are you talking about? I'm I, talking about the demo of like what's like. Look, no, the, that's those are both robots. Is that supposed to be a robot? Yeah, they said, oh, he's not really a security guy. It's just a robot. We also made look human. Oh, I missed that. Those I missed that because ro- I feel like we've just, seen that guy, the, like the Asian security guy, yeah, like knocking around us, he's in, the, just a in robot. the background of scenes. Yeah. So has he always been a robot? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, Everybody so, who works at Westworld is a robot also. That's the thing. This is the thing that pisses me off because, okay, so like what happened this week? The big reveal, which if you were paying, I think I called that on this show at one point, uh, that Jeffrey Wright was going to turn out to be a robot. He's a robot. A robot himself. And I still think that's a good scene. I like that scene. It's like, because there's still a sense of, even though you kind of know it's coming the minute it's coming, like it, there's a sense of like horror to it. Like when she's, uh, you know. I laughed so hard <laughs> because when he's like realizing that he's a robot, he goes, but my wife. <laughs> my wife. <laughs> yeah, I just went straight there. Yeah. Straight to Borat. <laughs> you kind of can't not. Yeah. I get I mean, look, I, you're, you were forgiven for not like letting that be. But I'm know. saying that robot killed a human. Yes. That was a real human. Okay, yes. That he yeah, killed. He but he killed, killed them under the command of a human saying, you have to kill this human, which is not as cool. Because here's the thing. In the original Westworld, the robots go crazy because it's like a like a people's revolution it's like they're the workers they're the workers and they're being exploited yeah Yeah. and that is not what this west world seems to be about well not yet not yet not not yet necessarily but yeah poor poor sidsy babette newton so i think anthony hopkins you think anthony hopkins is a robot um do you buy the theory this is like like reddit is uh, basically convinced that uh jeffrey wright um, Bernard is actually Arnold or an Arnold robot that Anthony Hopkins built that like when and so when we're seeing him talking to Dolores to Evan Rachel Wood in the uh, sort of their interrogation scenes where we don't really know where those take place there's a question as to whether that like when in the continuity that those are happening I find that theory very boring what that it's Arnold or the or that the, it's multiple timelines but I think that's almost like it's almost real at this point. Like I feel like they're basically acknowledging it. There's something where like one of those dudes, it's like a Lawrence or whatever, or Leonard, one of the whoever the, the you know the guy that the man in black is taken around, uh, that he dies and then shows up again. So it's like he's popped up. They, you know, like it, it can't possibly be like, you know, they they can't have gotten him back out there on the track. That sure, quickly. they could. I mean, they look, have like duplicates of everybody yeah that's the thing but all right you can't kill any of the robots they just have like a backup they just show yeah exactly they just bring out it's another of the same model fair but there's there is that arnold question it's what i enjoyed about that scene yes was that anthony hopkins turned into vincent price you know which is not a big leap no but it was like suddenly i was like oh finally like something a little bit creepy for real which yeah. is just Anthony Hopkins doing like the cask of Amontillado being like, oh, this is the last place you'll ever see. Ha ha ha. Like a villain speech where, again, you're like, why don't you just why would you tell somebody what you're doing before you kill them? No, he's the best when he like goes like full camp. It's like, have yeah. you ever seen Titus? 
Uh, I'm mad at Titus. Why are you mad at Titus? Because it was funded by Steve Bannon. Oh man. Well, okay. I gave Bannon. I gave Steve Bannon some money after all. No, you. You also gave him money because he like funded Seinfeld reruns, Seriously. which is a very weird thing for an anti-Semite to do. All you millennials. All you millennials. <laughs> what if Steve Bannon funded Seinfeld because he's like, this is the most devastating anti-Semitic propaganda I've ever created. The thoughts that run through my mind. <laughs> It he makes has a the, different reading of it. He it also funded these, these New York Jews look like such buffoons. He probably thought that. He also funded the Indian Runner, the Sean Penn movie. Oh my god, I've seen like twelve Steve Bannon movies, and you I didn't need even know a it. fucking Silkwood shower. <laughs> I have been, I've been through the Steve Bannon filmography. Yeah, it's a weird list of things. Um, have you? Do you follow the Westworld bot on Twitter? No. It just generates Westworld theories based on <laughs> words, Westworld words. So it's like. Uh, Maeve is going to take over the bar using surprise Soundgarden. Like it just, and it somehow it like pieces those things together. A lot of those fantasy bots have really good ideas. <laughs> There's really good ideas. There's an X Men one that's really good. Um, anyway, so the uh, magic realism one is my favorite. In conclusion, <laughs> the bots let the bots run it. Let the bots run everything. They can't possibly make worse decisions than humans have made recently. Let the bots go. We'll be right back. So at the moment when our, our world became significantly more Leonard Cohen-ish, we lost Leonard Cohen. It was right after the election. We were all already feeling kind of bad and predisposed to go listen to depressing music anyway. Um, I went into a deep, deep Leonard Cohen crevasse. The avalanche carried me down to into the darkness um, and it has been kind of the best thing that I've done for myself, I would say. It's certainly better than all of the uh, garbage political news that I have been stuffing in my eyes and all of the Twitter and all of the not sleeping and all of that kind of working my way through the, the, the like the middle of the catalog, especially the stuff that I had not really paid attention to, you know, because everybody knows the first album and all those songs that are in McCabe and Mrs. Miller and all that stuff. And I was familiar with that. And I was familiar with the, the late in life stuff that came out recently when he kind of got back into recording. But I went back and listened to a bunch of the old stuff. Molly, you wrote an amazing piece for MTV News. Oh, thanks. About Leonard Cohen's passing. Um, I had reached the point where not doing work was not helping anymore. I was like, please give me something to do that is not thinking about stuff, but then that was also involved some thinking about stuff. I think it was more just like everything I had done to try to allay feeling really depressed had not worked. And so paradoxically, just like diving head on into the Leonard Cohen catalog made me feel so much better. I was like, oh yeah, I'm fucking sad. That's right. <laughs> And everything just sounded perfect. I mean, yeah. democracy is coming to the USA. I'm like, yeah, he knew. He yeah. knew. It's, it might be a better exit than Bowie's in terms of just going out exactly the way you lived. It's also just like Leonard Cohen, David Bowie, and Prince are all like the people who give you faith in men. Like, oh, there are good men that understand empathy and are sensitive people and don't love being men necessarily or you know feel equally trapped by 
the constraints of what you're allowed to do and feel as a man, as one might feel as a woman also. Uh, and yeah, losing all those people is the worst thing ever. And I thought about it as the good man rapture. Yeah. Well, just like everybody that we love and, you know, not that I'm expecting anyone to be like, here's what we should do. Here's the comforting thing. These are all the people that would also be like, oh, there is no comforting thing. All you can do is deal with what you have to deal with. And that's, I th- that's for me anyway, that's been what the Leonard Cohen uh, thing the last week when it's really been all I've been listening to. It's, it's not just because it suits the mood of the country or of my life or whatever. It, it feels like I'm turning to this person for like, I'm going to pretend that I too am a, a, an ancient stoic Buddhist Jew and I can handle all of these things that I have. These are the, I have the tools. Like, is it like, I'm like, if I were Leonard Cohen, I would be able to process this and I would be able to look at this with kind of a, you know, a jaundiced eye and just turn, you know, just be like, that's, that's, that's what happened. And it's, but I don't have that at all. I'm a mess. So it's just, it's somehow I'm trying to channel, I'm trying to let him sort of like, to, you know, just take over me and, you know, just become that person when i lived with my friend amir uh it was more just about that i i kept thinking about it because it was like he was listening to those leonard cohen albums constantly and i was listening to him listen to them through the wall and just that thing of like we were both really depressed but there was no way we could help each other to be less depressed even though we like had each other it was like we were both in these holes kind of next to each other uh and then thinking about how depressed i was feeling this past week and being like oh that was such a great time (laughs) Remember when I thought I was depressed? That was so stupid. I didn't have anything really to be depressed about except being, you know, 24 and totally broke. And, uh, you know, and yeah, I'm also like, oh, that was also a time when in my depression, I did like a ton of writing, which felt like it was out into sort of the void that nobody could read. But maybe people did read it. And yeah, just sentimentalizing the last bad time that I felt really bad and hopeless being like compared to now <laughs> that was great did it help you to imagine the, the the possibility that you would one day be able to sentimentalize this time as well yes but i'm trying not to have any thoughts that are like it can't get worse because i think that that is a jinx i'm a superstitious enough person to feel like putting it out in the universe that this is the worst possible scenario is just tempting fate to make something even worse happen we were talking about how somebody needs to check on bob dylan every day make sure he's doing okay it's that yeah i mean look we've got how much how many more days of this year are left well also just i think the fallacy of thinking that next year is going to be like a clean slate is is not real either I felt that way about 2016. <laughs> I don't even remember why now. I don't even remember. 2015 was horrible, too. Like, 2015 was personally kind of horrible. It was personally horrible, but it was also politically, that was when all the police violence, I believe, when Ferguson happened. Was that 2015? That was the first sign, I think, that things were really bad. Yeah, look, I'm sorry that like my go-to in these in these moments is like what you know is, uh, that I'm taking comfort in in the kind of words and outlook of uh, very old white men. Uh, it's it's weird, but I feel like Leonard Cohen somehow is like I. He's also a Jew, which is slightly different. He's and he's a he's a Buddhist Jew like Goldie Hawn and Allen Ginsberg. 
and Adam Yauch. That's actually and the only kind of Jew you can be in the Bay Area, <laughs> I have learned. My but it's a, it's a very specific worldview. Like he said, I like what he says in that New Yorker profile about it, where it's like somebody asked him about that contradiction. How can you be a Buddhist, but also be a Jew? Because he never like rebuked uh, being, you know, sort of culturally Jewish or whatever. He was like, there's no Buddhism demands. I sort of bend the knee to know uh, authority, like to know God. And so it's like I can have both of these things. In it. I just like that. I, I can love bend it. one knee. Yeah, he'll bend one knee. But he'll half lotus the knee. Um, I definitely also was like, we all need to go to that Mount Baldy monastery. And then you read that, like, the teacher that he was practicing with was corrupt and yeah. he since denounced him. Yeah, you're like, there's was, no safe place. No, yeah, that, that guy was like, you know, because those guys tend to be those, like, med- those, you know, gurus and stuff are like rascals all the time. But he was also engaged in like sexual misconduct. Yeah. And, like, but it's so perfectly Leonard Cohen that it's like Leonard Cohen goes to the monastery and actually becomes a monk for like five years and disappears from the world entirely. And what happens while he's there is he gets robbed by his business manager. He sets up this foundation to protect his assets, and then his business manager takes all of his money, and then it turns out that his guru is, uh, like, engaging in, like, improper relations with the students. It's like everything is corrupt, and it's all just sort of everything is broken. It's cause, and then, But it's, it's, not, it's not all bad. I think that's also what I feel like I really came out of the listening to all those albums again with, like, oh, there's a lot of, like, hopefulness in these albums that kind of gets downplayed. People kind of talk about Leonard Cohen as, as either that he's like so depressing or that it's all about sex. And I feel like there's just a lot of political stuff in there too. And a lot of sort of, especially in the last albums are about forgiveness, which was not really how I've been feeling about people that I'm mad at this week. But it did kind of make me be like, maybe I'll get to a point someday where I feel like I can you know, forgive or make peace in some way with all the terrible stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what it's probably, that's probably why it feels comforting is it's that thing of like, you can, you can survive anything. It'll, this will just be another, another line in your face, another crack in your voice at some point. I'm not there yet, but I, I like, I like the idea of, of looking back somehow at this moment with not, you know, sort of not feeling the kind of abject. I mean, I, you know, I, I was raised not, religious in any way my mom is irish catholic and my dad is jewish uh but you know i have relatives that did not escape the holocaust and you know that i think really kind of sets you up for life with like the world is a bad place (laughs) where bad things happen for no reason and sometimes it's like vindicating when that happens you're like oh okay i was right to be so cynical and think that everything is terrible and that people people are so easily led into evil. Right. And it's not shocking when it happens. It is shocking when it happens. There's all, you know, I think uh, pessimism or depression or something can be like a, a way of sort of trying to inure yourself from all the bad things that are going to happen that you have no control over. But... Uh, that is what I do like about Zen Buddhism is that it's all about how you have no control and about sort of the present moment being the only moment that you have access to. You can't predict the future. You can't change the past. You just have to deal with what you have. And what you have is ultimately nothing. I mean, that's why people say that it's sort of a cold religion. Ultimately, it's a cold, it's a cold way of thinking about the world. It's got jokes. That's why Zen Buddhism is the best. It's got a lot of... And I mean, I was already sort of reading some 
DT Suzuki and stuff like that for looking for comfort in sort of the the inability to know anything. The cosmic riddle that Doctor Strange, only Doctor Strange can solve. We brought it all the way back around. We'll see you guys next time on North Mollywood World. This episode of North Mollywood was produced by Michael Catano, Mukta Mohan, Kasia Mihailovic, and James T. Green for the MTV Podcast Network, with additional engineering by Little Everywhere. You can subscribe to this and all of our other shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts.